moved. And you know this already, but this place is incredible, right? Like, wow, it's amazing. And um, it was cool because I got to see it a couple of times as it was being built. But I said to um, Pastor Denise when she came in, there's something different about seeing the church with people in. It's like it becomes the church when the people enter the building. And my favorite thing this morning was Bailey took me all around to all the children's spaces. And every room, I was greeted with this massive, smiling dream team member. The dream team at this church are phenomenal. Phenomenal. Can we give it up for our volunteers? They are so good. And it's such a privilege to be with you and to continue the Legacy Series. You can get your sermon notes out or you can open them on your app and I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your words. I thank you that it's living and active. And actually today, Lord, we just say that we very simply came to encounter Jesus. Jesus, we came to see you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would behold your grace, your mercy, your love towards us this morning. I pray, Lord, for anyone in the house who just needs encouragement. And I just so pray, Lord God, that this message would encourage them, that it'd sink into the depths of their soul and that it would propel us forward into Christ's likeness. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Have you ever taken a risk and the risk didn't pay off? I remember uh, earlier this year, I, I had to get some dental work and I looked at my bank balance and I thought to myself, mm, I'm going to research my options. And I found the cheapest dentist that I could possibly find. And uh, can I tell you, that risk didn't pay off. <laughs> Never go cheap on dental. That's the lesson that I learned. Or I used to play a lot of sport when I was young and I would call myself a confident sports player. Uh, so I would attempt things that other people wouldn't attempt. I played soccer once and I can confirm to you that I have literally tried a bicycle kick on the field, uh, that risk didn't pay off, <laughs> definitely, definitely didn't pay off, I was playing hockey once and I tried to do, it's like called a reverse pancake strike, um, oh Julie Clark knows what that is, come on, alright and I tried that, missed the ball completely, that risk didn't pay off, the first merchandise I ever printed, this one's for Bailey Booth, the first merchandise I ever printed as Elam Leadership College Principal, 100 t-shirts which I failed to proof check, they all had a spelling mistake, it was different spells for only one. If massive risk didn't pay off, has anyone taken a risk and it didn't pay off? Yeah, but has anyone taken a risk and it did pay off? Like, is that not the best feeling in the world? One time I bought a pair of sunglasses, $200, get this, $200 Ray-Bans sunglasses. I bought them online, didn't try them once. Don't judge me, I can see you all judging me. Best sunglasses I ever bought. That risk paid off, but you might have, I don't know, accepted a job or uh, signed up for a house and it was a massive risk, but the risk paid off. God might have told you to do something. You stepped out in faith and you did it. And I just, a couple of Sundays ago, I felt a word from the Lord and I went and found a girl and I said, this is what I think the Lord is saying to you. And she said to me afterwards, I'm blown away that God would love me so much that he'd know what was happening in my heart and send you. How many people love it when a risk pays off? But you know, the incredible thing is this. Have you noticed that people are the biggest risk we can ever take? People are risky business, aren't they? The moment that you begin to engage with people, the moment you become friends with people, the moment you begin relationships with people, the moment you start employing people or delegating responsibility to people, people are like the biggest risk you can take. And when it pays off, it is amazing. People are the best. But when it doesn't, I'm not going to say the opposite. 
People are risky business. The moment we start engaging with one another, we know that they may come through, but they also might not. They might succeed, but they may also fail. And that's why sometimes I think that Jesus' evangelism strategy to share the gospel with the world is literally the riskiest strategy imaginable. Because Jesus' strategy is this. I'm going to take imperfect people who sometimes do well, but sometimes don't, who sometimes succeed and sometimes fail, and I'm going to entrust them with the best news on the planet, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection for your and my part. Sometimes I look at Jesus and I think, Jesus, this strategy is risky. I don't know about you. I just look at myself. I'm not looking at anyone else. I'm like, Jesus, I'm risky. I don't know if I'm a safe bet. And yet he still tells us, therefore go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. And he says this, but I'll be with you to the end of the age. This is Jesus' evangelism strategy. He's like, you go and I'll be with you. And that freaks me out, church. Because I know people, and I know people are risky business. Sometimes people succeed, and sometimes people fail. And so what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about one of Jesus' disciples, one of the same disciples that he said go to, a disciple who failed. Our text is going to be John chapter 21. And the context of this, this chapter is all about Peter, the disciple Peter. And the context of this chapter is Peter's failure. And I think that it can encourage us today because I'm probably assuming that I'm speaking to some disciples in the house who have succeeded, but also sometimes have failed. And I know I'm speaking to myself this morning, so perhaps we can encourage ourselves by Jesus' response to Peter's failure. See, the text, John 21, the context of this is that Peter has betrayed Jesus quite badly. The night, the Passover before Jesus dies, Jesus takes a meal with Peter. And at this meal, Peter talks a big game. He's like, listen, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you do. Whatever cup you drink from, I'll drink from that cup as well. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, actually, by the time the crow calls today, you will have betrayed me three times. And that happens. The night of Jesus' most incredible torment Peter doesn't stand with him. Instead, when people people come to him, they say, oh, you've been with Jesus, you've been with Jesus. Peter denies even knowing him. Can you imagine the size and scope of this failure? It's betrayal. It's utter betrayal. You know, we struggle with, when we go through our darkest nights, people not being there for us. Jesus is literally hanging on a cross and can see and hear one of his closest disciples denying ever associating with him. This is betrayal on a massive scale. And I wonder if you could put your feet in the shoes of Peter for just one moment. Imagine the mix of emotions that Peter felt when Jesus rose again. Utter elation, but utter shame and embarrassment. I bet he wondered, where is my place in the plan of Jesus now? Does he still call me the way he once called me? Will he still relate to me the way he once related to me? I wonder what Peter felt when he saw Jesus again. And this story that we're going to touch on, this is the third time that Jesus has reappeared to the disciples since his resurrection. 
And in this story, he specifically focuses on Peter. Actually, the story is known as Peter's reinstatement. See, into the midst of Peter experiencing all these emotions, Jesus speaks directly. And the first thing he says is he says, keep on fishing. He says, Peter, keep on fishing. John 21, verse 1 to 7, it's on the screens. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friend, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Does there anyone else would think when they read it, Peter, why would you put on more material? Surely that will weigh you down in the water. Does anyone else think that when they read that? That's how mind works. my mind works when I read the Bible. If you think that this story sounds familiar, you're right. This is almost an exact replica of the call of Peter that you'll find in Luke chapter 5. Almost an exact replica. It's quite incredible. And I need you for a moment to understand what this moment would have meant to Peter. Peter, who's in the midst of confusion, of embarrassment and shame, Suddenly they hear a call from the beach. And I bet the call sounded familiar. A call telling them to throw their nets out, which is the same instruction that Jesus gave to those disciples the first time he called Peter. Then John recognizes that the one on the beach is Jesus. Can you imagine Peter for just one second? He's thinking Jesus still calls me the way he called me. He still invites me the way he invited me. His words, his invitation, his call on my life is still the same. Can you understand now why Peter's response is not just to stay in the boat? He needs to get to this Jesus who sees him the same way, believes in him the same way, reaches out to him the same way, invites him the same way. He wants to get to this Jesus as quickly as he possibly can. See, the truth is with humanity, when we fail one another, normally that failure, come on somebody, taints the relationship. It changes the way we view one another. It changes the way that we relate. But here's Jesus standing on the sure, saying, I call you the same. I invite you the same. I extend the same grace, the same mercy, the same love. Get this, the same trust. It's the same call as it was in the beginning. Peter's failure has not changed a thing. And there are some people in the house who have failed and you've stood on the boat and felt your own failure. And you need to know that Jesus is standing on the shore, calling you the same way he called you inviting you the same way he invited you. Come on, somebody needs to wrap on the outer layer and jump back in the water again, going back to the Savior who first called you. And you know, the truth is, honestly, I could stop this message right here because that is inspiring enough. It's moving enough. It's encouraging enough to know that the Savior who we fail doesn't let our failure taint the way he feels towards us. 
taint the way he calls us. We could stop right there. But how many people know that he's not just the God of enough, he's the God of exceedingly, abundantly more. And so he doesn't just say to Peter, keep fishing. He's actually like, this is Jesus. He's like, actually fish more, fish more. This is what it says in John 21, verse five to six. He called out to them, friend, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I'm intrigued by that instruction to cast the net to the other side of the boat. Why would he ask them to throw the net on the other side, the side that they hadn't been fishing? And to give you a bit of Bible history for just one second, one of the major stories of the New Testament, one of the major narratives in the New Testament is the fact that actually the disciples were called to start fishing in different waters. See, the gospel message didn't just go to the Jewish people, the Israelite people, like the Old Testament message had. The gospel was to go to all people. Jew and Gentile. Gentile just means non-Jew. And actually, the major tension of the New Testament is how the Jews would include or incorporate the Gentile people into what had traditionally been just a Jewish faith. And Jesus seeded the fact, this, this idea that the gospel was going to go to both Jew and Gentile throughout his ministry. And I believe he's seeding it right here. Because actually the disciple who saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles for the first time was Peter. He was the one who went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile believer. He preached the gospel and they saw the Holy Spirit fell. Peter began to realize that the good things that had been given to the Jews were not being withheld from the Gentiles. And from that point on, let me tell you, they began to fish in some unfamiliar waters. They began to throw out their nets on the other side of the boat. They began to extend the gospel to people who didn't look like them, sound like them, have the same faith background as them, know the same stuff as them, come from the same places. They threw their nets on the other side of the boat. And I want to challenge you this morning, is your gospel big enough to include people who don't look like you, who don't sound like you, who don't come from the places that you come from, who aren't the same age as you? Because friend, if your gospel only works for people who are the same as you, it is too small. And we as the church need to be masters of what I would call the other side of the boat. Come on, when was the last time you threw out the gospel with people who don't look like you or share the same values as you? When was the last time you looked at church and thought, would this work for people who aren't just like me, but who are unlike me? Is your speech inclusive enough to sound inviting to someone who's from your background and someone who's not? Because if it isn't, friend, your gospel is too small. And we've got to be masters of the other side of the boat. Come on to young people in the house. Is your gospel big enough to include the older generations? Is your invitation large enough to include people from a different generation to you? Because I've got to tell you that we don't have a one-generational gospel. This is for multi-generations, multi-tribes, every nation and every tongue. Come on, we gotta be people who are masters of the other side of the boat. Peter doesn't just say, keep fishing. He's like, no, 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 actually, actually, fish more. Fish wider. Fish in more unfamiliar places than you ever have before. And then finally he says, he's like, actually, don't just fish more. He's like, I want you to shepherd as well. 
Don't just fish, shepherd as well. And there's this incredible interchange in John 21, verse 15 to 19. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. That interplay happens three times. Three times to echo the three times that he failed Jesus and denied knowing him. And there's a lot in that text going on that I wish we could kind of dig into. But for sake of time, I just want to show you that Jesus doesn't just restate Peter's commission. He doesn't just re-put him in the place that he was before. See, he doesn't just say to Peter, Peter, you're going to fish the way you fished before. He says, you're not just going to fish, you're going to shepherd as well. And I want you to notice that in this text, actually, Jesus' metaphor changes. Like up until that point, the metaphor that he has been using to talk about people is fish. He's like, catch fish, be a fisher of men. But suddenly, he's referring to people as sheep. And if I was Jesus' editor, I would have told Jesus off for that, because that's mixing metaphors, and it's hard to follow. But because this is Jesus, I think we can assume that there is reasonably deep purpose <laughs> to what he's doing. See, the truth is that throughout the Old Testament, Peter, people, excuse me, sheep are used as in a metaphor for the people of God. And shepherds are often called leaders. Sometimes shepherds are like God himself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, sometimes shepherds are referred to as kings. Sometimes shepherds are, are referred to as priests. But the role of the shepherd is always the same. You are to protect, you are to feed, you are to water, you are to care for the sheep that are entrusted to you. See, Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't want you to just fish for souls. Once they're caught, I want you to feed sheep. You need to understand that the commission of the church is very simple. Catch fish, feed sheep. Catch fish, feed sheep. Throw out your nets. Make your gospel pull as big as possible. Make it wide and expansive and, and inclusive. But once people are caught, make sure you feed, you water, you care for the people of God. It is not an either or, it is a both and. See, the incredible thing is that when Jesus reinstates Peter, he doesn't just give him a job, he gives him a strategy. He's given him a ministry strategy. He's like, this is how you do the work of God. This is how you do the ministry of Jesus. You throw out your nets, you throw them on both sides, you catch fish, and then you feed the sheep. You feed the people of God. Friend, can I say, are you engaged in caring for the people of God? Because as a church, that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to care one for another. See, caring for one another isn't the job of the pastoral care team or the leadership team, even though they do it and they do it well. Actually, these two do it better than most. You guys are amazing. Yeah, hard out. We're supposed to care one to another. Catch fish, feed sheep. See, Jesus doesn't just recall, recommission. He enlarges and expands. And this is what he does in the space of Peter's failure. If the band would like to join me. See, if you're anything like me, uh, I read this text and I'm like, well, surely Peter must have done something to earn this reinstatement. Surely Peter must have done something to earn this enlargement. 
because that's us, right? Like if someone lets me down, I want them to earn back my trust, right? If someone betrays me, or I'm not going to delegate them the same responsibility. I'm going to wait until they have earned it back in my sight. Just being real, this is what we do, right? But what has Peter done? All Peter has done, friend, is get back to the beach. And for some of you here, this was actually the point of the message. You need to get back to the beach. See, Peter, all he has done is he has got back to the beach from which he was first called. See, a lot of the people, when we preach this text, we preach it uh, like Peter is running. Like when Peter decides to go fishing, he's running away from what happens, running away from his failure. We preach it like Peter is returning to that which was comfortable and familiar for him, but I don't know if that's the case. Because if that was the case, he would have picked any beach. He would have picked any body of water, but actually the body of water, the beach that he picks is the one from which Jesus first called him. He's not running. He's returning to the place that he was first called. You know, I wonder today if the reason we preach it that way is because that's what's tempting for us to do. None of us like failure. And in the light of most of our failure, it is tempting to run, to run away from God, to run away from the community of God, to run away from anything which would remind us of that which we feel like we no longer deserve. And perhaps this week you've been running Perhaps this week, in the light of your failure, you have been running. And yet here you are, Sunday morning, back on the beach again. And I pray that somehow through my voice, you would hear the voice of your Saviour saying, keep fishing, keep throwing the nets out. The call remains. The invitation remains. The grace remains. The mercy remains. I pray you would look again to the shore and see your Jesus on the beach, extending to you the same invitation that He has always extended. Come, follow me. I pray today that louder than the voice of your failure, you would hear again the voice of your Saviour. Come follow me. With every eye closed and every head bowed. Maybe you have been here this week and you've been running. Maybe you felt like you failed and you've been running. And I am here this morning reminding you that in the midst of our running, Jesus didn't go anywhere. Perhaps you can hear him again, extending the invitation again. Perhaps today you need to respond like Peter and run back to your Saviour. Because wherever you have come from and whoever you are, this is the truth about you. You were created for life. Friend, if you are under the sound of my voice, you were created for purpose. You were created for hope. You were created for peace. You were created for a relationship with God. 
But the Bible talks about this thing called sin. Sin separates us from God. It's our decision to go our own way. It's the wrong in our life that keeps us separated from Him. But the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, He was perfect. He became our sin so that we could have the life, the peace, the relationship with God that we were created to have. All we need to do today is hear the call and return. That's all repentance really is. It's a return back to our Saviour. See, if you're in this place today and you're saying, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to return to Him. I want to accept the life that I was created to have. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of that, I just ask that you raise your hand. One, two, three, if that's you, would you put up your hand? You're saying, I'm coming home today. I'm making Jesus the Lord and Saviour of my life. Awesome, awesome. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Saviour. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin, follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you, church. Take it away, Pastor Aaron. Awesome. Can we thank Pastor Haley? What a great message this morning. So, so good. Catch fish and feed sheep. On my drive home today, I'm going to look at sheep in a different way. <laughs> So good, so good. Thank you so much, Haley. What a great, uh, a great message this morning. And and maybe you're here and and lifting your hand. I don't want that to be the last thing you do today. Can I uh, draw your attention if you just said yes to Jesus right then, right in front of you right now, and you could grab them out. There's an orange Connect card there that we would love to be able to help you on this journey. So so if you grab the pen and a Connect card right now. And, and start to fill that out. And, and on the way out, uh, if you said yes to Jesus, there's, a, there's an incredibly uh, handsome young man standing over there in a blue t-shirt who would love to be able to give you a, a gift that we have for you to help you on your journey. Uh, as you said, count me in. So, so good. Well, well church, this morning, uh, this morning as, we, uh, as we come to a close, there's a few things I'm gonna let you know about today. And m- maybe you've got a, a prayer request or a prayer need today. And you can grab that Connect card in front of you right now and and begin to fill that out as I let you know about a few events coming 